every Arizona homeowner's best friend, and it all has to do with you. Thanks for tuning in. It's Rosie on the house, your weekend wake-up tradition. Living is the life for me. Come on around back, Arizona. It is 8 o'clock Saturday morning, fourth Saturday of the month. So we're coming around the urban farm to find Farmer Greg in the backyard. Woo! During this broadcast with Farmer Greg, you hear a lot of words like regenerative gardening. <laughs> right. The, um, the abundance of oh, things. Oh, yeah, definitely. And today we're going to talk about what to do when your regenerative garden provide you an overabundant amount of produce that you can't possibly eat before it spoils or the birds get it. Canning, preserving, uh, all the di- fermenting. We're going to go through all of those. Dehydrating. Yeah. And you've got a special guest that's uh, joined you before in this hour, Kari Spencer from the Micro Projects, joining us on the phone. Good morning to both of Good you. Good morning. And you, the Arizona homeowner, if you'd like to ask Kari or Farmer Greg a question about uh, preserving, canning, or anything and all things related to out uh, to urban farming. Growing well, your own. Growing your own. one 767 That's one 888 for you When you get the auto attendant, just hit zero or one. It'll get you past the auto message and put you right into the studio where Julia, our ASU Walter Cronkite Yay, graduate. Julia. Is standing by to screen your call. Text questions can be sent to 411923 or email info at rosie Farmer Greg, good to see you. Right back at you, man, in this crazy time, huh? <laughs> uh, crazy time. But you know what's not changed at all? How much food we get from the farm? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. We're right at the very end of the first round of peaches, and I'm picking them as fast as we can pick them and canning them and freezing them and dehydrating. And so, um, yeah, that's what we're going to talk about today. How are you doing today, Kari? I am doing great. Yeah? What are you uh, preserving these days? Kale. (laughs) It's the end of the kale season, so I'm trying to just uh, preserve it before it all gets uh, full of aphids. Oh yeah, no kidding. Well, and that's you know that's that's an interesting point. People often this time of year contact us and say, "Hey, my gosh, the aphids are all over my broccoli or kale or your winter stuff," and they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. It's not odd for them to show up this time of year, right, Kari? <laughs> that's true. So, what are you doing to preserve the end of your harvest of kale? Well, I like to dehydrate it and make kale chips, but it takes a long time to do that, and I'm trying to do it fast. So I'm just chopping it up and putting it in ice cube trays with some water and freezing it. That way I can use it for soups. I can just, at the end of cooking a soup, I can throw one of those ice cubes in, let it melt, and we're good to go with a little bit of extra vitamins. Hmm. I've never heard of that. We do lemons into ice cube trays and then when you're having your tea you know you crack your ice and you got your little kind of arnold palmer mix there with a little mint but i've never kale for soup and, yeah. and ice yet another function for ice cube trays <laughs> <laughs> right yeah, yeah yeah that is the case so um first up today is canning uh, let's tell us about canning kari Well, there's two ways to can. You can use a pressure canner or you can use a water bath canner. 
And pressure canning is for um, things that are low acid. If you have vegetables that you want to can, uh, then you need to use a pressure canner with the exception of tomatoes. Tomatoes and citrus and marmalades and things that are high in acid, you can water bath can. And that really is a an extremely easy way to can. Um, I do a little of both. And what's the difference between the two? Well, with the pressure canner, it, it's under it cooks under pressure at an extremely high temperature. And you have to have you know, a, a good pressure canner, not a pressure cooker. That's a different thing. <laughs> you need a pressure canner. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's one of those you know, ones that the, the top seals and then the pressure builds up inside. Uh, and t- so it can get super hot inside, right? Right, exactly. Yeah, much hotter than a water bath canner. Um, with a water bath canner, you just need a big pot and a few supplies. It's uh, cheaper to buy a water bath canner, and it's a really good way to start if you're just trying to see if you like canning. Um, I would start with water bath canning. And is is it okay if you have a pressure canner to pressure can everything? Well, yes. Yes, but keep in mind that it's cooking at very high temperatures. So sometimes things that have a lot of sugar in them can kind of burn uh. and maybe get a little overcooked. So what I would do is what for whatever you want to can, I would go out and look for a canning recipe and see what the recipes tell you to do, whether you should water bath can or pressure can. Well, and there's, there's really important guidelines to follow from the USDA on that, right? Um, yes, there are. And those were updated uh, a couple of decades ago. So we want to make sure that, that we're following current guidelines. And you can find those at the National Center for Home Food Preservation website. And the link for that is NCHFP dot uga dot edu um, or you can just google national center for home food preservation and you can see the current data and also that site has a lot of recipes tons of recipes oh, yeah. and they've all been tested so that we know they work which is not true sometimes when you just download something off the internet so um, i would start there if you're new to canning and when you buy your canning supplies as well, there's a couple manufacturers of the glass jars. Most of them sell recipe books as well that come with your starter kits. It'll get you started on you know, the, the, the classics and the favorites before you start venturing off and making your own. Because it is one of those things like gardening. When you get started, it's real easy to... Uh, Get all of a sudden, end up you get crazy yeah. when you start canning. You start with a few, and then all of a sudden, before you know it, you got glass jars all over your kitchen and on top of every shelf and in every cupboard. <laughs> well, in one of my in one of my guest rooms, I have a whole cabinet of jars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's great though because when you need something, you don't have to run to the store. You know, if I need tomato sauce, I can just go to my own pantry and get it. I don't need to go to 
the grocery store. And you don't have to grow all your own food to can it and preserve it either. You can go to a farmer's market. You can go to, um, I, I can't remember the name of it, something 700 Club or something. Yeah, the, the 3,000 Club. 3,000, um, 700, 3,000. <laughs> yeah, there, there you go. There you go. And, and what they're doing is they're actually bringing in food. We need to get them on the show, actually. Uh, they're bringing in food that would normally go to waste, like they don't have anybody to sell it to. It just sits in trailers in Nogales. They're bringing that in, and for 10 or $20, you get like 60 pounds of food. You've done that before, haven't you, Kari? Oh, absolutely. I use the 3000 Club. Market on the Move is another name for it. Mm-hmm. And um, I pay $100 a year. I get one free time to visit, and... Um, I support them, and then it's ten dollars. Ten dollars when you go and visit, and you just get tons of food. I got a whole box of bananas a couple months ago, and I had to figure out how to use them or freeze them really quick. But there's also produce on wheels without waste, which is another one in the valley. And both of those organizations have events all over the valley. So if you go look at their calendars. You can probably find one um, near you. Awesome. So there's a number of resources in that food preserve. We're going to gather all of these and put them on the archive page at rosieonthehouse.com. Select homeowner resources. You'll get a drop down. There'll be radio. Click on today's uh, broadcast. What is today? May 23rd. 23rd. (laughs) I I know. Time just goes weird right now, doesn't it? (laughs) And it's broken down into the four segments of each hour, and the links will be in this segment one of, of the 8 o'clock hour. And we actually, so it is uh, the3000club.org Thank is you. their website. 3000club.org. So back to, can once you have the produce, and so now we're canning it, we've been talking about water bathing versus pressure. Um What's in season now? Well, what's in season, and how long can I expect that to be good? Oh, well, that, the second question is for Kari. Let's, how long does it last once you jar it? <laughs> a long, long time. I'm telling you, we, we've moved twice in the last few years, and I opened up some cans of, um, I, I make apple pie filling. Oh, yes. And I opened up some, some jars of that that were so old, I don't know, maybe five or six years old mm-hmm. that I had forgotten I had. They were in a box. I opened them and I tasted it and it was, it, it seemed just fine. Now, I didn't eat it. I did throw it away because I just wasn't a hundred percent certain, but I probably could have eaten that. Um, yeah, they, they'll last several years. I usually try to rotate mine through fairly quickly though within a year yeah well the big thing once you so when we say canning we're actually putting things in jars and there's a ceiling lid that sucks down on the jar the big thing is is when you pull something out of the pantry you have to pry that top off if the top comes off easily it's spoiled don't use it that's true if you see bubbling in it it's spoiled. Don't use it. If you smell any smells or it's discolored, um, don't use it. But botulism gives no sign that it's there. When in doubt, compost. That... Yes. I'm when, sorry? when in doubt, compost it. That's right. Get rid of it. If that lid comes off easily, don't eat it. Yeah. 
So this time of year, we get all kinds of things. You know, we're just finishing up with the peaches, and they make bait, great peach preserves, They may, which my mom has been making like mad. And they also make um, great freezer trays. So what I do with peaches is I'll cut them in half. We'll talk about this in a little while, and I'll freeze them. Um, the other thing that's coming up real soon is apples. We're probably going to have... 600 pounds of apples off of our four apple trees at the urban farm. Oh, it's, it's amazing. You, you mentioned it at the beginning, you know, at the top of the hour, the, the amazing abundance that happens out there. And one of the things that I love to make, and I only make it about every three or four years because we can make so much of it. And that's uh, applesauce. Mm, homemade applesauce with farmer Greg right after this. Apple pizza's pumpkin pie. Who's not ready And I'm really excited about this segment, homemade applesauce, because our Anna apples is loaded, absolutely loaded. Yep. I I have filled up buckets as I'm thinning them out. Mm-hmm. You know, it, on your the end of your apple limb, you'll have six, seven in a cluster. In a cluster, you yeah. Thin those out so you get big apples. Oh, you're so much better than I am. I I thin them well because the horses. Oh, absolutely love them. love them. Yeah. So we'll fill up buckets and then go uh, scatter them through the horse pins before we feed. And I mean, we get done and I look at the bucket. I'm like, gosh, are we going to have any left? And you look back at the tree and you're like, <laughs> we didn't take anything off. <laughs> right. <laughs> we have so yeah. much more to do still. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That, but, you, that, you know, it just goes back to the abundance that I just love talking about in our gardens. But they're, they're not the best apples by themselves. It's not like a Red Delicious or a Macintosh or a little tart. They're green, but they're great baking apples. So we have a great homemade apple pie recipe i'm sitting here with pen in hand waiting for this homemade applesauce recipe oh there you go well you know i'm maybe i have it on my computer you know what the interesting thing about anna and dorset golden apples though is that right now they're tart so if you like a tart apple they're you know they're good to eat as a tart apple and the longer they stay on the tree so in 30 days they'll be a sweet apple you know, so they do get, let them stay on the tree a little bit longer and they, they do get sweeter. I I will remember that. Yeah. Yeah. And so the apples, the Anna and Dorset are the only two that I endorse for the Phoenix, the low desert area, uh, because they ripen early. They ripen in uh, late May and early June. And they're great for eating, for dehydrating, for applesauce, for baking. Um, you know, it's a good all around apple. Anna and Dorset. And and how do you make your applesauce? Oh, my gosh. You know, it's been three or four years since I did it. But basically what you do is um, I I use a uh, an apple peeler, and it peels them and cores them all at the same time. Uh, so I stick it on there, and it's, you know, it's one of those twirly things. The hand things, crank. The hand crank twirly things, yeah. Like exactly. a slinky. <laughs> yep. Yeah, exa- exactly. They come out like a slinky. And then I uh, throw them in a big pot, and I cook them up. Uh, and that that cooks them cooks them down. I add some uh, cinnamon usually, and usually we don't have to add sugar, and um, put it in jars. So there, in canning, there's two two parts of the process, right, Kari? Yeah, two parts of the process. There's the prepping of the recipe, and then there's the canning. <laughs> right. <laughs> And it's two separate pieces. So, you know, what I just explained was the prepping. And then what we do, well, actually, why don't you share with us, Kari, the actual canning process? 
Okay. Well, what Greg said, I want to go back to the prepping. The prepping is really important. You want to make sure you're cutting off any bad spots, get rid of them, and get your follow your recipe exactly. Follow it exactly. You know, once you learn how to can, you can play around with the recipe, but to start, you got to follow it. And then you fill your jars, and there are spe- there's special equipment for filling those jars. Um, but backing up, those jars need to be sterile. So you'll want to put them through the dishwasher on sterilize or boil them in hot water. You want them to be clean. You don't want any germs in there. You don't want to can anything that will make you sick. <laughs> so start with really clean jars. And uh, then you need some special equipment for filling those jars. There are wide mouth funnels that you can use. And uh, that makes it really easy to fill your jars. And it also keeps food from getting on the edges because you don't want any food on the rim of the jar because that will prevent it from sealing properly. Uh, And you fill your jars up to within an inch or half an inch of the top. And you put your lid on. The lid, there's two parts to it. There's a, a seal, and then there's the ring. The ring is the part that screws on, and the seal is the, the middle part of the lid. Um, once you've got all your jars pre- prepared, then you can use a rack that you put your jars in, and, when, and you uh, lower it down into the canner. You bring your canner up to boiling, and you um, just boil it for as long as the recipe says. Make sure that the water covers the jars, um, about an inch of water over the top of the jars, so that the whole jar gets bathed in that boiling water. Now, is it okay Um, to drop them in while they're boiling already? I would not do that because you'll probably break the jar because of the uh, quick temperature change. Okay. Put them in before you start boiling. That's the other thing. I, I often use jars in the freezer, and you don't ever want to bring a jar out of the freezer and stick it underwater. You let it, you know, you let it warm Come up. Come to room temperature. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, we're talking about food preserve. We've got Farmer Greg of the Urban Farm and Kari Spencer of the Micro Farm Project. We've got pickling and fermenting still on the to-do, dehydrating, freezing. You know what's something else I've wanted to do but haven't got to yet is juicing. I've seen on Lehman's you can get a, a juicer. I've wanted to make apple juice out of all that. If there's something I want, I'll grow my own. Yeah, all I need is G-O-D to bless the seeds I've sown. And pray for a little rain. Yeah, my daddy was the same. He showed me as a kid how to live and let live me if you think you know what's good for me. Continuing our conversation, Gary D. always has the magic touch of finding a song to tie into the topic at hand. And we are talking not necessarily about growing our own today, but about preserving uh, what we've grown or what we've picked up from a farmer's market. Uh, There is nothing like, you alluded to it earlier, and you've got all those nice peaches in there. Um, Just nothing but just half peaches right out of the can, nice and cold on a summer's day out on the lawn under the shade tree, just sit there with a fork and eat those peaches and let them drip <laughs> nice. down your yep. chin. 
Well, and I'll tell you what, there is, once you grow your own peach or apricot or plum, you will never be able to buy one in the store again. It's, they're just that good. Well, and peaches are so hard to get fresh in the store because they're ripening season. You know, they're not like citrus or melons that you can pick and it'll preserve itself for a while. I mean, peaches spoil fast, so they've got to pick them before they're ripe so they don't go bad by the time the supply chain gets to you. And when you learn, you can just pick them off your own tree (laughs) at, at, at your leisure. I, I can't buy a store-bought peach anymore. I just can't do it. Or apricots. Last time I bought apricots at the grocery store, they were organic. But it was like, why bother? So so what do you do with all of this? You mentioned um, juicing. I actually, a few years ago, bought an apple cider crusher and press. It was about $1,000 for the equipment. And... What you do is you put the apples in the top and you run them through. It's a hand crank thing again. You run them through and it crushes them. It masticates them all into this pulp. And then you stick them in the juicer and you just press the juice out of them. It works so incredibly well. Um, And I've actually had some people make some apple wine out of my apples uh, and apple cider. So... You've done this. (laughs) I have done this. And one of the things, you know, I love cool tools. And we bought the mesquite bean mill a couple of years ago. That was a $12,000 investment to mill mesquite beans into flour. And uh, we have the apple crusher and apple press. The other thing I want to buy, you know, those big machines you see in the grocery stores where you pour a case or two of oranges in the top and it cuts them in half and juices them. We need one of those here in Phoenix because of the abundance, the amazing abundance of citrus that shows up in the winter. There's a breakfast place in Scottsdale that has that machine. I'll sit there at the bar and just watch them do it. It's cool. Yeah. It's cool. They're watching those oranges go and squeeze them. I had not seen that. And I feel a lot better now because one thing that uh, I can tend to spend a lot of money on are kitchen gadgets for uh-huh. preserving. <laughs> I've got the food salad wheel. I've got the grain mill. I've yeah. got... That, that press that we traded one yeah, time for the exactly. dehydrator that is an apple slicer, but it's also an orange juice press, yep. or uh, you can make French fries with it. I feel a lot better because these are all 100 to $300 products. <laughs> Greg's kitchen gadgets are $12,000. <laughs> <laughs> right. When we check out growphx.org for our uh, mesquite milling, we'll be doing a mesquite milling for the public. So you'll be able to pick your own mesquite beans and bring them down and, and mill them into flour and take your ho- flour home. So. And that is usually into June, It's into the July? last week, last Friday and Saturday of June this year. Okay. We've decided we're moving forward with it. It'll be outside and social distance and all that good, kind of good stuff. Excellent. Yeah, mesquite trees and beans – there's no shortage of, of them. That and is the case. Nobody had to plant them. <laughs> right. Nobody had to graft them. They're, they're, they're just there. Just there. Yeah, so exactly. once again, you can make bread, uh, cupcakes, pancakes. What what can you do with it? Oh Anything my gosh. you do with white uh, flour. Yeah. Everything like that? Okay. Well, there's yeah. no gluten in it, so it doesn't rise. So it's more like uh, um, kari. What kind of flour? What's uh, uh, mesquite flour like? Uh, it is a kind of a nutty tasting flour. It's got a lot of fiber in it. It It's more like a, um, you know, sometimes people who are on low-carb diets, they'll use almond flours or coconut flours. It's more like that. And for me, I always mix it with a different flour, with a, a just a white or a whole wheat flour for cooking, um, just because I I don't, 
want it to be 100% mesquite, but some people just use the mesquite and make some really tasty treats. Oh, yeah. Well, and there's cookbooks out there for There's Eat Mesquite and More. That's for Desert Harvesters down in Tucson. They put out that book, and it's got to be 200 pages. Um, so there's so much you can do with it. And preserving preserving mesquite flour is super easy. You mill it and you put it in a jar. <laughs> it if, doesn't if get to, much more complicated than that. Get, yeah, it doesn't get much more complicated than that. And it lasts for years. It lasts for years. So, Well, I'm... I'm going to put us back onto your talking points because the next one is one of my favorite, pickling and fermenting. And last week we had a special guest on the show, uh, Suzette Smith, The Garden Goddess. Who oh, yeah. She's, is the first she, fermenter, yeah. fermenting company in Arizona. Yeah. And she sent us a few samples. And Ooh. the older I've gotten, the more I've developed a taste for sauerkraut. Isn't that amazing? And she has this sauerkraut there's a few different lines but it's called cowboy kraut uh-huh. and i had it every day for lunch this week nice it it is the best sauerkraut um i've ever had yeah when well, sauerkraut and making sourdough bread it's it's the same fermenting process and i have to admit i know zero to nothing that's an oxymoron. I know that. <laughs> I know zero to nothing about fermenting and sourdough breads, but I know that Kari does. Yeah, I do. I love fermenting. <laughs> Stuff just tastes so good, and it's so good for you because it has all those probiotics in it. I mean, you can pickle just with a water bath canner. You can make uh, water bath can pickles, but they're not fermented. They taste great, but if you really want that, the health benefits, you got to ferment them. And it's, it really is easy to do. Just like canning, you want to follow um, the directions in your recipe very, very carefully. You want to make sure you're starting with sterile containers. And uh, basically what you do is you cut up whatever you're fermenting and you put it in those sterile containers with a uh, piece of cheesecloth or some sort of porous material over the top and I just put a rubber band around it. Uh, You don't want the top to be sealed because you want the lactobacillus that ferments it to be able to get to it. So you don't want to seal it. It also produces gas as it ferments. So if you put a tight lid on it, it could explode. (laughs) So you want to just make sure that you just have a piece of cloth over the top and you put it in a cool, dark place for a period of time and it uh, ferments makes your pickles makes your relish and so tasty so good for you so what's the difference between fermented and pickled well uh, pickled can be fermented or pickled can be just uh, processed in a water bath canner with vinegar uh, the, again, the water bath canner method in the vinegar is not fermenting. It does not have the probiotics. When you pickle, it takes a lot longer because you have to let it sit and attract the lactobacillus that starts to break down the uh, food inside the container. And that's what releases all that probiotic goodness and releases that vinegar taste that we associate with pickled items. 
Um, so it's a, it's a completely different process. Both ways are delicious. <laughs> <laughs> right. And that offsetting gas, when you see, you know, the, the, you, there's attachments you can do just onto your canning jars that have um, a, a lid on top that allows for that gas to escape for your fermenting. Um, that so your your canning supplies can be part of your fermenting supplies. Now that's a smaller one size jar. I mean, you can go up to five gallon fermenters that you can make a huge batch of before you preserve. Man, you know more right. about this than I do. Maybe you should be doing this segment. <laughs> oh, you are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we pickle in very large jars. We pickle watermelon rinds, and they're so delicious. The rind, interesting. Yeah. Green and all. The green part and all. Green, the green part, yep. Hmm. Yeah, I'm there too. It's like, ooh, that sounds interesting. I'd what like to try that. What would that. you put that on, though? Is it just something to snack with? or It tastes like a relish, or you can just eat it. <laughs> it's eat so it. yummy. Hmm. Oh, wow. Well, okay. I've, I've got something to do with the... Watermelon rind, other than just throwing it in the chicken coop now. Right? <laughs> Although the chickens do love it. They do. They'll pick it clean. Interesting. So what other kinds of things are you fermenting? Uh, you know, sauerkraut's the obvious one. Uh, and now apparently watermelon rinds are obvious to, to some people, too. What else do you <laughs> ferment, Kari? <laughs> Everything. I mean, you can ferment. You can ferment eggs if you want to. You can ferment... Uh, citrus rinds, you can, I like to ferment radishes. We make a radish relish that is oh, so delicious. Um, Gary's over here yeah, shaking. I mean, it's a great Gary. way to use up things that you wouldn't normally eat, like the watermelon rinds. So, I mean, just be creative. You can ferment just about anything. Get creative. Gary's over here shaking his head madly. About all the things you're fermenting. There's a radish called a watermelon radish that I had a few months ago with a little bit of hummus on the top. Ooh. Oh, man, is that good. Mm. You know, this is why I love doing this, because I get to learn new stuff all the time. And there's an endless amount of stuff to learn. Oh, yes, absolutely. All right, one final segment with Farmer Greg of the Urban Farm and Kari Spencer of the Microform Project here at Rosie on the House. We're going to wrap up, and we've got to cram dehydrating and freezing into one segment. I get so bored with cucumbers all the time. But when you turn them into pickles, they're a whole lot more exciting, don't you think? <laughs> <laughs> I love pickles more than cucumbers. I love pickles. <laughs> My sentiments exactly. We're all laughing over here. <laughs> I don't know how you do it, Gary. I've got a text question in that from a gentleman who wants to know on mesquite pods. It says all the ones he picks have little tiny holes in them. Is that okay to use for? Yeah, so here, here, here is a quick in a nutshell. You always only ever, did I get it through clearly enough? Always only ever pick the mesquite beans off of the tree when they're dry, never off of the ground. Those little holes are this little bug that uh, the uh, eggs get laid on the inside of the 
uh, pod when it's really young. Um, and that's the bug coming out. So, and usually that happens after the bean is off of the tree. Um, so pick the beans off of the tree. You need to dehydrate them, dry them out, make sure that they snap uh, so that they don't gum up the mill. And uh, those bugs will, they'll show up occasionally, but they're, when they're, when they're drilling out, they're coming out and going away. So always only ever pick them off the tree. All right. Dehydrating and freezing. We'll, we'll talk more, I'm sure, next month uh, about, about the mesquites. About yeah. the mesquites. Yeah. So dehydrating. Dehydrating is actually super simple. Uh, I dehydrate apples and apricots. Peaches, I don't really care for dehydrated peaches, but apples and apricots, I do all a lot of those every year. Um, what What do you dehydrate, Kari? I dehydrate... Um, all kinds of things, even peaches though, but I turn them into fruit leather. (laughs) Yeah. And I I was going to go back to you, Romy. You said you had a great applesauce recipe. Yeah. If, if you, um, make up that, or not applesauce, apple pie recipe, Mm -hmm. if you make that apple pie recipe and you puree it and then you lay it on some, uh, parchment paper, spread it out nice and thin and put it in your dehydrator then you can make your own fruit leather out of that apple pie recipe. And believe me, it's delicious. When I make that for my family, it doesn't last more than a couple days. They just eat it up. You know, you've reminded me about that before. And it's like, okay, I've got a few extra peaches this year. I'm going to make that out of peaches and out of of, uh, uh, apples this year. Fruit leather. And... Dehydrating, it's more than just slicing your fruit and leaving it out on the countertop to dry. Right. So there's dehydrators you can buy. Um, Okay, I admit I bought a $500 dehydrator. (laughs) Um, It's a big industrial dehydrator. It's this basically machine. The one I have has a a heater and a fan in it. And, you know, you turn it on to a certain temperature, uh, usually 135 or something like that, and turn it on. And then the fan blows that heat over the... Um, you know, over the what's in the dehydrator. You can also make them uh, solar dehydrators without, uh, you know, without uh, um, fans and heaters, just put them out in the sun. There are things that you can actually dehydrate without a dehydrator. Hmm? Um, Any ideas on that, Kari? Yeah, herbs. You don't need a dehydrator in Arizona for herbs. I just bundle mine like in a bouquet I put a rubber band around the stems and stick them upside down in a paper bag for a week or so. And then I just kind of crunch that paper bag and all those dried leaves uh, fall off the stems and I've got, I've got my dried herbs. Hmm. Wow. When I have a truckload of oregano at the house, I'm going to make some uh, uh, dried oregano this year. You know what we have is a, a rosemary. Oh, bush that never ending. Yes. Well, and here's what I tell people this all the time. The easiest thing to grow and the most expensive thing to buy are herbs. <laughs> grow herbs. The, yeah, ha, start with something that works very easily. That's that's the key to gardening is have something that's easy and successful and rewarding. And you're right. Herbs, mint. Um, we had the air conditioning guy, Chuck Knight, out uh, earlier. And he 
fixed him a mint tea. He took that mint stem out, put it in his pocket, and took it home so he could use it again. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. And then freezing is super easy. The peaches are... Uh, what I freeze most of is uh, peaches and apricots. You pop them in half, take the pit out, stick them on a cookie tray in the freezer. They freeze overnight, take them out. I put them in gallon jars and then I use them in, well, you could absolutely use them for fruit leather and I use them in my green drinks and like that. So after you freeze it and you put it in the jar, then you put the jar back in the freezer? Jar, jar back. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Otherwise, it's going to turn into mush real quick. <laughs> That's it. So you, you lay them out on a sheet so they dry individually. Then you can put them in the jar. Right. They freeze individually. That's yeah. correct. Yeah. Got it. Well, my biggest takeaway today is I've got on record, Greg, spending $12,000 on a <laughs> mesquite mean $500 on a dehydrator. Next time I go to buy a kitchen gadget and... Ma- Man is looking over my shoulder, be like, "Hey, I'm not, I'm not on urban farm budget here. Don't worry." <laughs> Thanks, Kari. <laughs> uh, we may have lost her. Kari Spencer, the Micro Farm Project. Thank you, and Farmer Greg, UrbanFarm.org for always love being here. All the information you heard today.